Well, it's been a little while, but we welcome you back into a Sideline Guys podcast alongside Jeremiah Johnson. I'm Pat Boyle, and I guess this is the official, now we can officially talk about the things that happened that you all saw a couple of weeks ago. And of course, I think as many of you know, we go through this moratorium period, whereas team employees, we cannot speak on these rumored deals until the team finally announces them and so I think all of that is now in the clear so we can discuss them and we're here with a whole lot on our plates I was just talking to you about this since we've talked which was wrapping up the season just a couple of days after that game seven loss so much has happened and uh, I have so many different thoughts in so many different directions I think I've been struggling to organize them so before we before we get into all of this stuff let's just kind of catch up on these last couple of months and if, if you guys don't care about us in our personal lives, maybe just skip <laughs> forward to like the four-minute mark of this or so. But it's it's been, even though it is off-season, um, I stay busy with Fever. I know you stay busy with some freelancing things. And the opportunity for you to go work for the, well, I'm a Cardinals fan. So I, I saw this as very, very cool. And I'm sure you did to actually get to work for them. Um, but did some uh, games as, do they call it, is it sideline? Is it dugout? I believe it's called dugout reporting. Okay. Even though I spent the first two innings of every game actually in the photo booth area beside the dugout, and then I went to the press box until about the eighth inning of the game and then went back down to prepare for the post-game interviews. But, yes, it was a great opportunity. Got a phone call from Fox Sports Midwest after the Pacers were eliminated by the Cavaliers if I to see if I was available Memorial Day week to see if I could do uh, five Cardinals games as a fill-in for Jim Hayes, the cat on Fox, as he is known on Twitter, and he's a legendary dugout reporter, probably the longest-tenured sideline slash dugout reporter in Major League Baseball. So I job shadowed him for one game of a Cardinals-Royals series and then was able to work two more games in that series at Bush Stadium and then three in Pittsburgh, PNC Park, Pirates, and Cardinals. And as you've been watching the Cardinals, they've had a little bit of an up-and-down season just when they win a game or feel like it's almost like the Pacers from a couple of seasons ago. Remember when Aaron Brooks had the classic line that we are consistently inconsistent? (laughs) I think that's what the Cardinals are. But regardless, it was a great opportunity, good experience, nice to do something different. Baseball is a little bit of a different pace, as you might expect, than basketball sideline reporting, but contributing to the pregame shows, the postgame shows, and, and keeping an eye as well on everything happening around the NBA. As you mentioned, it's interesting, the moratorium, comes during free agency, which is maybe some of the most high-traffic time for maybe NBA websites that report on the league, and we're just sitting there following the tweets, and it doesn't really benefit me personally to try to find out any scoops because, uh, thankfully, I'm no longer in that position where I'm trying to break stories, even though during that time period I was at a golf tournament and everyone wanted to know what was happening, or it was just prior to that. I think it was Bob Kravitz's golf outing, and, and Kevin Pritchard was actually there, and I think it was the Thursday prior to the free agency period. So it showed that he had a nice commitment to uh, Bob and his outing raising money for ALS, but it also showed that he was about to go get busy and everyone wanted to ask me questions at the time that I really didn't know the answer for. But before we get too far ahead, Pat, I think we do need to, uh, actually I'll let you talk about your summer and then we'll, we'll get into the nuts and bolts of the Pacers. Yeah. And this has been the first year doing um, full-time fever play by play, which, uh, you know, Chris Denary kind of hand the uh, hand. Has the anybody called me. you Chris at the games? No, but, they call me Jeremiah. <laughs> oh, much <laughs> there's, worse. There's, you wish they called you Chris. We, we do have a fan uh, who is a diehard Fever fan who, if he's listening to this, uh, I, I don't have the heart. Well, so this actually started, this is my fault. Uh, a couple of years ago, he came up and and he said, you know, he's, I see this guy everywhere. He's bef- he's there at when the gates open. He's at all of our events off the court kind of thing. He's a huge Fever diehard. And I was going by and I said, hey, and he waved and said, hey, Jeremiah. And I was already kind of past him, and I should have corrected him there. That was last year. He actually, um, yesterday afternoon, called me Jeremiah. Um, so that hasn't changed. And it, we're, it's too late in the process. Like, if he figures it out, I'm okay with it. But Yeah, just don't do anything bad, and I'm okay with <laughs> well, it. Well, that's true. Now, now to him, at least. Now you I'm can, you, you know, you right. can spit on someone, and it's like, hey, do you see what Jeremiah yeah, did? that's very true, as long as it's just him, because I think everybody else knows I'm not you. But okay. regardless, you know, it's it's been a tough season in, in that the team's going through this stretch where um, – you know, you lost Tamika a couple of years ago to retirement, 
and you had the number two overall pick and then the number eight overall pick, and those two players have looked the parts, fortunately, for the Fever, but they're just so young. Um, they were the second youngest team in the league before they recently signed Cabby Pondexter, who's a, a veteran guard. It's been it, it's a really fun job because I have a handful of games where it's just me, but then I get to work with Tamika for a handful of them on my NDY, and then Debbie Antonelli, who's one of the best analysts out there, period. She did some um, college tournament games, March Madness games most recently. You've probably heard her work even if you haven't watched a Fever game. So for me, it's really cool because there's these three different phases where I have to learn how to do it on my own because that's in a lot of ways how broadcasting has turned. You see a lot of, fortunately not the Pacers, but a lot of radio crews that just have one guy employed. Um, and then you get to work with Tamika, who's of course this on-the-court legend who is also learning how to do uh, get into broadcasting. This is her second year. And then Del- Debbie, who is a, a seasoned veteran. So it's been a fun year. It's been a tough year for the team on the floor, but you, know, you just kind of hope these are the building blocks and the pieces going forward. And I've enjoyed every minute. It's crazy because it's a three-month season. It's normally a four-month season. It's condensed with the World Basketball Championships in September. It goes fast anyway, but this year it's flying. We're already 20 of the 34 games through. And you were able to fit a trip into Ireland? Yeah. World traveler Pat just, Boylan. Just in Ireland for four or five days. Honestly, um, the, the, the trip came up, and I'm not going to get into details because the details aren't significant and they're fairly boring, but uh, part of the reason why I went then, I was meeting some friends who lived in London, was because we were on moratorium anyway, so we can't say anything anyway. And, you know, there's always part of me that's like, should I just like log out of my Twitter just in case so I don't accidentally forget or say the wrong thing? Well, going out of the country and getting away made from cellular easy. service made that easy. So, were fans yeah. over there tuning in or at least paying attention? Or did you ever just find World Cup fever everywhere? That, World Cup fever. Yeah. But I, I half wondered, and of course this was not official when it happened, but see, we, we can't comment on these things, but we see the Woj tweets and we know what's happening. We just can't comment. So I saw the Kyle O'Quinn, and I say this <laughs> tongue-in-cheek, half wondered, his name sounds very Irish. In Ireland, if there was any Irish uh, ancestry, um, I don't think there is. Maybe if there is, it's way down the line. But We've got uh, time to dig into that story, yeah, possibly. Yeah, so I, I, I half-jokingly said um, to the head of digital, do you want me to get like some man-on-the-street interviews as the Pacers have signed <laughs> Kyle O'Quinn? But uh, it but, would look like the digital department expanded its budget. Right, and send somebody on <laughs> Johnny on the spot. <laughs> yeah, Pat, so, man so. on the street. So, yeah, it's it's been you know a fun off season. I know um, you've enjoyed it as well and kind of getting to take a, a deep breath in a lot of ways as well. And so, finally, we feel like we have all of this different array of areas to talk about, and it's sort of unorganized in my head. Um, but, you know, just kind of chronologically – you had the draft. We'll talk about Aaron Holiday and Alizé Johnson a little bit later as we get into free agency and summer league and all of that. Um, I think we did something similar to this last year. It's it's probably best to start with some of these guys that aren't coming back. And, and we try as this podcast goes on throughout the year to kind of try to pull back the curtain a little bit even more than we can in our broadcast windows and try to give you guys an, an inside look on who some of these players are and what they're like as people. And, um, you know, obviously the Lance Stevenson departure has made a lot of news and there are, you know, varying degrees of angles you could take on that. Um, But, you know, just as people, I would say going over to Al Jefferson here quickly, I think Al is probably as good of a guy that has been in that locker room um, for the last four years that I've been here. And, um, you know, it's clear that the game passed him very, very quickly. I still remember my first year here, um, the open of the radio pregame is a one-on-one with Mark Boyle talking about the opponent. And I remember saying in that first year, coming off of Al's previous year, he averaged something like 20 and 10. And I remember saying, do you think Al Jefferson is one of the most underrated players in the league? Because at that time, he wasn't getting talked about amongst the stars, and he agreed with that. And it's amazing how quickly the game evolved and how quickly he became a dinosaur. And of course, he got a little bit older, too. Um, He was, I think, and this story has been told, I think fans know that, such a influential voice in that locker room last year and even though you didn't see him on the floor all that often I think he had a lot to do with 48 wins and taking Cleveland to game seven 
Kevin Pritchard said most important pacer, and I thought that might have been a little bit of a stretch, but when you walked in that locker room, there was just a different feeling this year. Now, Al Jefferson was there the year before, but I think he and others had a louder, stronger voice this past season. And Al Jefferson, it kind of hit me just before we recorded, started recording this podcast as I was walking through the Pacers team store, and I saw the discount rack. And I saw Al Jefferson jerseys, Glenn Robinson III jerseys, Lance Stevenson jerseys. Yeah. And it, it's kind of one of those reality sets in. Those guys are no longer going to be here. I think we'll give each of those guys a little bit of expanded time, extended time. But Al Jefferson is someone that I loved it when he came in the game. Even the first year when he was playing a bigger role and, and maybe was struggling with some aspects of a faster pace game. But he would take advantage of everyone on the post. I mean, it just did not matter. And he still had those moments this past season, even when maybe he was not playing for a week and a half at a time, but then there was foul trouble or maybe Miles Turner was injured and Al came in. And I thought he still did what Al Jefferson does. What you mentioned about the game passing him by, it, the game changed more than even passed him by. And I think it'll be interesting. I think it'll be good to see. I think he's still craves playing competitive basketball and so he's reportedly signed overseas china i believe i think i saw that by the way can you imagine look for for all of the changes of this game al jefferson in which you were alluding to in the on the post on the block still has an elite ability to score down there it's just that type of play is not quite as efficient as the way the game has changed it didn't really matter who was guarding him so can you imagine if he goes over to China or wherever he plays, if it's not in the U.S., like, you've already got the best players in the world here, and they couldn't really guard him on the post. Like, he's going to have – he's going to eat guys' lunch. He's going to – I mean, he's just going to dominate. And and if the style of game is over over there is different, um, I think he's still got a lot in the tank. And you, you go back to that – was it the Cleveland game where they got down, like, 30-10 to 10 in that first quarter at home – regular season and Al came in and I think scored on three possessions the Pacers came all the way back and won that game um he had on the court contributions and I think sometimes people overlook that because he didn't play that often and he had kind of got garnered this role as you know a mentor to the younger players and he would come in when he didn't have to and, and play the was it the three on threes in the morning when the Pacers weren't doing um you know pregame walkthroughs and shoot arounds and he did all those things but even when the Pacers needed him and called on him, I, I think he was always there for them as well. And, you know, I, the Al Jefferson era, I don't think played out like he would have hoped here in Indiana or probably like the Pacers would have hoped when they signed him. And I think part of that was just how rapidly the game did change. Um, but this guy is as good as it gets, I think, in, in terms of a locker room and a, and a human being. And, and he's, you know, we'll get into Kyle O'Quinn a little bit because I think he can fill some of that role that Al did in terms of a locker room guy and an easygoing guy. But uh, he's going to be missed in that regard. Al Jefferson, a little bit like Damian Wilkins, is someone that, you know, you never know what would happen. And I don't know if Al has coaching in his future but one of those two guys, and they both played a vital role in sort of shaping some of the younger players' mindsets and attitudes and what they did, not just on the court. I could see one or maybe both of those being back in some capacity because of the positive impact that they made. Another person that I think you could go either direction on whether you'd ever see him back is Lance Stevenson. <laughs> now, no one would have imagined the second Lance Stevenson Pacers era would go quite like it did. I, you know, I think back to when he was signed late at the end of uh, the 2016-17 season and a team that was basically just grasping for air, trying to somehow find a spark, do something to get into the playoffs. They don't make the playoffs that year without Lance Stevenson. And at the time, if you'll remember, word got out about his contract, and, and the Pacers never officially comment on um, details of contract signing, so we're just relaying what it seems to have been reported, but it was a three-year deal for around $4 million per season with the third year being the team option. And you're thinking, well, that's okay for the second and the third year, but you gave Al or you gave Lance $4 million for six, was it six, six games, games. <laughs> and then the playoffs. Uh, I was thinking, what about the guy that's making five or six million that's played all season and realizes that in Lance's last two checks, he's going to get the same. Yeah. And so I wondered if there was animosity, and I thought that seemed kind of like a waste of money. But I, as I was you know, understanding it, it was also kind of a 
you want Lance to be happy, and then you're paying him more for that season, and you're going to pay him a little bit less the next two seasons, you thought. And I think it was such a big surprise to everyone when the news came out that the Pacers did not um, exercise their team option to have Lance back for that third season because it seemed such a reasonable amount of money. He seemed like such an important part of the team. And so it just had this, like, week or two where everyone was kind of mad, upset, wondering, okay, maybe he will be back. And I, if you have a chance, maybe go back and listen to the JMV podcast with Kevin Pritchard in which they discussed this briefly after the Pacers' new free agent signings. And he said that when they let Lance go, they told him they were going to have that ex- exception available, the mid-level exception at $4.5 million available to him, but they needed that cap space to go pursue free agents. And it makes it makes perfect sense, and you can't come out and say that, and you can't guarantee that because you're also giving this player the opportunity as a free agent to go in and try to find a better deal. And if someone wanted to give Lance $10 million a year and a five-year, four-year contract, they could do that, and that would be the Pacers' risk in letting him go. But I think they kind of thought he'd be, you know, okay to come back with that. And I think that would be a slight raise from the amount he was set to um, get in that third year if the Pacers exercised the option. And so while I don't know all the details and I haven't spoken to anyone in the front office about that, just listening to Kevin Pritchard both at the press conference and also with JMV and, and what he said, it definitely makes sense. You know, I'm not a salary cap expert, but they needed that $4 million to try to go out and acquire new players. And then once you get to the salary cap, you can – use the mid-level, and so it basically allowed them to, to spend more money, and they thought that you know Lance would come back, but they understood that maybe there was a chance he would not. So for all the fans that are just upset with Lance or with the Pacers, this really feels like it was Lance's choice, much like it was three, three years ago, four years ago. Yeah, and obviously, as you said, we do not, we aren't privy to that information, and, and um, Kevin Pritchard has talked about it a little bit on the radio shows. I haven't even heard that specific interview um, with JMV, so I, I feel like I have even less info on it, but everything that you're saying makes a lot of sense, and if if that is indeed true that you know you can pay him with the four million of cap space or you can go over with the mid-level exception what the exceptions allow you to do then it makes total sense and I think it's the absolute right call and sometimes you know we're in such an era of not to sound like the 70 year old grandpa but we're in such an era of where we react in the moment uh, over the top Twitter does that we're all guilty of it and and sometimes and I can imagine this would be fairly frustrating if I was in a Pacers front office role like um, Kevin or Chad or Peter, sometimes only half the story gets out. And sometimes that story isn't even accurate. And they're not in a position to respond to all of the false. Right. That's not their job. And even if it was, uh, you know, there are some things you just can't comment on because of the nature of the way free agency and all of this works. I think back to the Paul George deal. I can't imagine. And maybe maybe if you're at that level, you've just learned not to care about it, like the the egg on Twitter who tweets you nonsense or whatever. (laughs) But I just can't imagine how frustrating it would have been. There was that reporter in Boston. Boston. I think he was a radio DJ, uh, host, and he kept saying that Boston was offering, you know, a, a bevy of these picks and these players and a real good package for Paul George, and that the Pacers, for whatever reason, were balking at it. And of course, it comes out after the fact that that all wasn't true. And who knows if it was somebody feeding him information, you know, that was false intentionally or, or what the reason was. But I can't imagine being in, in Kevin Pritchard's shoes and everybody thinking that. Uh, you know, I'm I'm being crazy for not taking this offer, and this offer's not on the table. It just wasn't there. And so, similar with the Lance situation, um, you know, obviously Lance had really high highs and had the tendency to have some low lows. And there's an evaluation of how do you make, you know, sense of all of that. He's so opposite from a guy like Demontis Sabonis, who's cool, he's calm, he's 12 and eight every single night. At least last year he was. Um, and then Lance, who could help spark a 20-point comeback against the Pistons, but then, you know, could be triple-double chasing against Charlotte. He could be jacking up threes in bad situations as well. And it's a it's a tough scenario. And everybody is aware that the fans love him here. But if, if, what, if what that interview is saying is what happened, then I don't think there was any more correct way to go about it than the way the Pacers did. And, you know, if, if LeBron calls to Lance and says, come here, and that's what Lance would rather do, that's his prerogative too. And 
you know, it seems like that's his call. And here's the other thing to consider in this entire situation. You've heard Kevin Pritchard say they wanted to bring back their top seven. You know, those were in terms of minutes played. The Pacers will do that. And I don't know if there's any other team in the NBA that will do that. So there is a lot of consistency and continuity, which is something in recent years I feel like that the Pacers lack. have not had. We have had so many <laughs> podcast conversations about, hang on, the team is new. Remember how often that happened two seasons ago when we oh, started? exactly, this. yeah. We, we were talking about it, then we were like, wait, it's game 55. We're, we're tired of talking <laughs> yeah, about it. Yeah. Um, but so Lance was someone I think they wanted to bring back, but I think that they may be told, Lance, we're still going to try to acquire some – some depth, maybe someone that plays a position similar to you. While they didn't know if they would get Tyreek Evans, they did get Tyreek Evans. And so there was a chance that even though Lance maybe had the opportunity to come back, he would have still had to earn some playing time. Absolutely. And I don't know that, you know, for everything that I love about Lance, and like I said, I think you can analyze what happened this offseason and you can be disappointed that Lance is gone, but I don't think you should be upset at the organization. And I think you also... Uh, you know, have to say Lance needs to maybe he needs to try to prove because everyone thinks he can't play anywhere but with the Pacers. So this is an opportunity for him to prove everybody wrong. And you know, it's maybe one reason. And I don't, th- I can't think of too many to cheer for the Lakers, especially now. <laughs> but maybe you can just stay up late and and cheer for Lance. But I don't know that there was a guarantee that Lance was going to come back and be able to play in that same role because of who they acquired. Now let's say everything stayed the same, and maybe they have. Doug McDermott, and they have Tyreek Evans, and that second unit looks pretty well set, and then they bring Lance back with the mid-level. Okay, well, maybe there's going to be some games he doesn't really get to play. How does he handle that? He doesn't right. strike me as someone like Al Jefferson at this point, nor should he maybe at this point in his career, but he doesn't want to have some DNPs. He played all 82 games last year, correct? Yeah, I think if so. If he didn't set out the last one, I th- which is a tremendous accomplishment. Yeah to Lance, given the injury situation and also a tip of the cap to the Pacers training staff for getting Lance in that position to play. Maybe he would have some DNPs this year, and then that would have been controversial. The fans would have wondered why you're not playing Lance. Still, it sounds like the Pacers wanted him back. Lance chose to move on, so I think everyone else has to move on, and let's welcome Lance back when he comes back. Who knows? You know, maybe yeah. he's that rare player that comes back for a third time. <laughs> I mean, I think he still gets I think he still gets that final contract unless he goes and has like a four-year career with the Lakers and wins a championship. I think he retires a Pacer. <laughs> you can't totally discount the idea. I mean, <laughs> the fact of him coming back, if you would have said, you know, when he made that first return in Charlotte, if you would have said he'll be back, I mean, you would have been like, "Huh?" So I mean, Crazier things have happened. And I'm just disappointed we can't have a pregame segment in October about that hidden ball trick at the uh, Miles oh, Turner yeah. uh, charity softball game because yeah. that was one of the highlights of the summer. Uh, maybe we'll save it for the Pacers-Lakers matchup because that was there awesome. That was awesome. And then uh, uh, the juggling, well, he he, he stole the well, he he pop-up. No, he, yeah, but then the hidden ball trick the where ball after trick. there was an out made – he, you know, did the whole trick, you know, walked away, and then all of a sudden the guy on second stepped off base and he tagged yep. him and the inning was over. And that, that I believe, made Sports Center. And that was – I mean, it was an amazing play. It was – you had to have that done perfectly. And one other thought on this that makes me think the Pacers were really planning on having Lance back is during that softball game – we're always talking about that celebrity softball game, by the way, every year. It's but, the only time we get, I guess, <laughs> access to this. Yeah, well, and I there was access a, and, as if we're like – interviewing them and stuff. No, we we just try to fit into that. There was there's a better vibe at this year's softball game. A little bit. But <laughs> Nate McMillan was in the dugout and at different times he was coaching Lance up on what he needed to do. So if if he was someone they didn't want to have back, I don't right. think that A you would have really spent as much time talking to him and uh you know they were wanting him to play good defense and maybe uh do a few things here or there. Uh quick shout out to Glenn Robinson the yep. third, also one of our favorites and I might go back up there and buy one of those jerseys because I don't know if there is a nicer player that I've been around in my time working with the NBA than Glenn Robinson III. Heartbroken, I still have it in that image uh, when I walked off the elevator the first week of training camp and I saw Carl Eaton, uh, assistant trainer, had an assistant trainer, and I just had this, he had this look on his face that something bad had happened, and then I turned the corner and Glenn was on the back of a golf cart, and he had his, a towel over his head, and, and knowing how hard Glenn had worked in the position he was in to make a major impact on that team, 
it, you just feel so bad. I felt so bad then, and I still feel bad now. I'm happy for Glenn that he was able to get a pretty good deal considering the injury that he had to overcome and, and really still has to prove himself a little bit, a two-year deal with the Detroit Pistons. But I'll definitely miss Glenn. I wanted him to have that breakout with the Pacers, and I think everyone here did. He embraced being back in Indiana, and uh, you know, shout-out to Glenn, and we'll look forward to talking to him when the Pacers play the Pistons. You just feel so bad for his situation because – if you remember around this time last year, the Pacers had brought back Boyan Bogdanovich and or brought in Boyan Bogdanovich, I should say, and they were bringing back Glenn Robinson III. And there was a lot of genuine discussion on uh, would Glenn Robinson III start over Bogdanovich. So you're not just talking about a guy who didn't play for a majority of the season um, missing some time off the bench. You're talking about somebody who there was a genuine thought at this time last year, Glenn Robinson, um, that he might even fulfill a starter's role. And so obviously when he came back from that injury, he wasn't yet 100%. It took him a while to get his legs under him. By that time, it was almost time for the playoffs, and you had to go with what you knew you had. And so yeah, you understand the situation. Look, the Pacers have so much offseason cap space, and they have to use it on you know probably known commodities. And just as you'd say, where might Lance not fit into Corey Joseph, Doug McDermott, um, Tyreek Evans, DeMontis Sabonis second unit, I don't know where Glenn maybe fits into that either. And so you hope that it's an, an opportunity where he can go into Detroit, he can prove himself, he can have a nice season over there. Um, you, all three of these guys are pretty different. Um, two more like the other, uh, more like each other than the other, and then Glenn and Al are <laughs> a little bit more on the quiet side, and obviously everyone knows what Lance is. See, the great thing about Lance is we don't really have to tell you what Lance is like, because what you see is what he is. He's That is a genuinely who Lance Stevenson is. You might not get all those, you might not see some of the wacky moments we do in the locker room and on the plane and on the bus and all that stuff, but um, what you see is what he is, and that's true with Glenn, too, and, and I'm really rooting for him. I, I think there's a spot in the NBA gave for him I think you have the athleticism to win the dunk contest in a way that he did and he's been improving on his shot I think each year and um, I really hope I saw some pictures of him out um, in Vegas and shaking hands with a lot of the Pacers and clearly that is an amicable um, situation and, and he's a guy that again I'm really rooting for all three of these guys very very different scenarios and personalities and all that but um all three of them had an impact on what last season was, even if it's a player like Glenn um, who didn't come in until around Game 60. It's crazy. You can welcome back the guys, the seven guys who played the most on your team and still feel the pain of those three losses because of the impact that they made sort of in the locker room. I and mean, I think it's a challenge to the guys that are coming back and the ones that joined them to fill those shoes in terms of chemistry because everyone loved Glenn. Everyone loved Al and Lance is someone that I think every team needs a little bit of just to kind of keep things fresh, mix things up a little bit. And so I, I go into next season very excited because of the continuity and because of the guys coming back. I'll miss those three. They make our job very easy. You know, there were times I just wanted Al to play, so I had a ch an excuse to ask Chrissy, Chrissy Myers, David Benner, ask them for an interview at the practice the next day because he's that good in terms of answering questions and putting things into perspective. But shout out to all three of them. Also to Joe Young, his contract was not picked up. Uh, wish Joe the best of luck as well. He was also always willing to do interviews and uh, <laughs> always knew if I needed something before a game, I could go in and find Joe and he would talk. I just had to hope he was maybe part of the rotation or the uh, game plan at that particular time to give him the interview but we kind of close the book on those guys and we look ahead to the three players primarily that the Pacers have picked up via free agency and and sometimes the Pacers aren't real active in free agency they do more via trade and I thought Kevin Pritchard even said before the uh, free agency period he expected a more active trade deadline or trade period not deadline but th there weren't as many trades no, I, I was shocked by that because anybody that I was talking to about um, the free agency, they say, hey, do you think the Pacers, you know, can they get a big free agent? And I said, hey, if something big happens, I really think it could happen via the trade market. This is kind of a, a specialty of Kevin Pritchard's. And you couple that with the fact that the Pacers had so much cap room. There were so many teams looking for cap relief, at least it seemed, and maybe, you know, not. Charlotte made a couple of questionable deals but smaller deals that got them under the cap for now but maybe hindered them longer term with the Mozgov and all that stuff um, 
And, and I really thought that there was going to be a significant move made via trade. And I think, you know, without knowing, I think Kevin might have thought the same thing as well. And the trade market just wasn't there. And what I guess I like is we've seen this so far. There very much appears to be patience in the front office. Remember last year during the Paul George scenario where everybody said, oh, my God, you waited until after the draft, and now you're, you've lost your leverage and all this stuff. And, and he and Chad and Peter and, and all those guys, they took their time. They waited. They found the best offer. They didn't panic. They didn't push. And, look, my guess is there were chances to make significant moves out there, but if if they didn't feel like it was going to be definite good thing long term or something that might handicap their space in which could be used better down the line, then I think the front office has shown a patience that, look, if the big deal was out there and it was the right fit for the Pacers this offseason, I 100% believe Kevin Pritchard would have done it. And if not, then your next option, get the team better and remain cap flexible. And both of those teams, both those things on paper appeared to have happened. The Pacers, at least on paper, have gotten better. Um, you know, we can discuss win totals and whether they overachieved and where they might be. That, that's another discussion for another time. But on paper, they've gotten better and they've remained as cap flexible going into next year as they were this year. And so those things, I think, are pretty impressive accomplishments and for those who want you know the big deal to happen look there have been a lot of teams in the last few years that have made the big deal and then now they're those teams that are over the cap and they're stuck and they're trying to make trades where they have to give up assets to free up cap space and that's the last thing you want to be in and so I'm pretty confident that if there was a significant move to be made that would have significantly helped the team Kevin Pritchard would have had no qualms about making that type of move I don't think it was out there. And so I think he went with, you know, the the solid double in, in what the offseason was. Proof that it was not out there. There weren't trades right, anywhere. Right. And and some of the teams I think that maybe were in the position to be on the other end of the trade were asking for too much and smart move by Kevin Pritchard not to give in. They're not a desperate team. The Pacers are not, so there's no reason for that. I think maybe one of the biggest moves is one that the Pacers did not have any say in, and that was Thaddeus Young opting into his contract. And uh, I just think the world of Thaddeus, I don't think that's breaking news for anyone that's watched our broadcasts or listened to this podcast, but I think Thad is very, very important. I think his defense is underrated. I think he's a glue guy. I think that... His shooting, it could improve, obviously. I mean, but if he was if he was a forty percent three point shooter, then he'd be making twenty million a year instead of even the thirteen or fourteen that he opted into. So Thad coming back was key and it allowed the team to stay somewhat um the same with some what I'll call minor improvements and go into next season. Remember at the trade deadline when Thaddeus, I believe, was one of a number of players that told the Kevin Pritchard in the front office, we have earned the right to see this thing through. Now, in an, in an offseason, I think that goes out the window. You don't just automatically just keep listening to the players and say, oh, we, we need another chance, the same guys. But I think this core did earn that opportunity because of the progress that they made in just one season really together. And you could go into the trade deadline and be in the same position. And maybe this year at the trade deadline, maybe you're in the position where it's like one of those baseball trades where you're a starting pitcher away from being a playoff team that then goes and thinks they have a chance to get to the World Series. Maybe at the trade deadline, you're in that position where you can go get the difference maker that can all of a sudden put you over the top and, and give you a legitimate thought that maybe you can challenge for the Eastern Conference title. And and I'm curious your thoughts on this. I, I think the Pacers have gotten a lot of positive feedback uh, a lot of the reactions to the offseason has been very good. But whenever anyone talks about the Eastern Conference hierarchy, it's still just Boston and Philly and then pretty much Toronto. I've seen some people put the Pacers over Toronto, but I'm curious your thoughts. Uh, you go into this season, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I do think it's important to start to get more respect nationally because maybe in some small way that does help when the time comes that you're trying to maybe attract a big free agent. The unfortunate thing is they just went through um, you know, a season where I think many of us were wondering, okay, when is somebody going to notice this? Um, and, I, and I think in the final month of the season, month's time, um, that finally started to happen a little bit. 
and I think they're going to have to do it all over again. Maybe maybe if they're having a good season, you know, by December it'll start to get noticed a little bit earlier. But my guess is they're going to have a lot of people nationally that say, look, this team had a really nice season, but they overachieved. It was a 41-win team that got to 48 because they were 8-1 and in close games. Um, they still don't have enough scoring. You know, they don't have enough firepower. They're not as, um, you know, attractive as, you know, having a, a John Wall and a Bradley Beal is maybe to a national audience. Um, and, and then, of course, everything that Boston is. And I, I don't know if Toronto's an attractive team anymore because they've been together and we've kind of seen that they have a limit, at least as it related to playing LeBron, who's not there. Um, and, and so I think they're going to have to prove again that 48 wasn't a fluke. And, and even maybe if um, they overachieved just a little bit, there are other ways maybe that they struggled last year in areas where they could overcome that continuity, you know, being one of them. That was one thing that was fascinating is that all of these changes happened, and yet it seemed like a team that had been together for a while, very much unlike the year two, uh, the team two years ago. So um, I'm definitely in no. I asked Kyle Quinn, Kyle O'Quinn on on Monday, the final question. I says, I said, do you have a feel for the potential of this team right now? And his answer is, I think the one. <laughs> that I'm going to give, he said, uh, no, I'm going to wait until training camp to give you that answer. And then when you ask in training camp, I'm going to tell you I'm going to need to wait until the season to see that answer. <laughs> so um, You don't want to put any ceiling on anything. Right. And and you don't, you know, want to you don't want to put a floor on it either, in my opinion. So yeah. um, I think they're going to have to earn it all over again. And, you know, maybe that's just part of the territory of the way this team's made up and the geography of where this team is. But um, I, I'm. I think there are some people. I, I had a. I did a national interview with SB Nation Radio, and and the guy was very complimentary and said he thought the Pacers were the third best team right now. I'm not sure if that's the majority of national people. It'll be interesting to see. We've talked a lot about the Pacers that are no longer here. A little bit about some of the acquisitions, and I think we'll have time in the coming months to really analyze Tyreek Evans, Kyle O'Quinn, and Doug McDermott. But let's get to some of your questions. Pat sent the tweet out earlier today, and I think it's a good time to just hear from the fans. And I don't even know the answer to all of these questions, but I think we can bounce around back and forth. And Michael Hostetler was one of the first to respond, says, will starting lineup be the same as last year, or will players like Domas and Tyreek get some starts with everyone healthy? And I do think last year I was surprised that very early, maybe even before training camp, Nate Millen kind of said, this is my starting lineup. And sometimes you like a coach to say, there's some competition out there. And really, you know, open five, whoever plays the best earns it. That doesn't happen, obviously, as much in the NBA. But I, I was surprised last season that he kind of declared his starting five as early as he did. And I'd I'd be surprised if there are any changes to that five-man starting lineup on opening night? I think I am in agreement with that. Um, I've been thinking about that question before it got asked. You know, is it the same starting five? I think the makeup of it, I think Darren Collison fits really well next to Victor Oladipo because Collison is not ball dominant and you want Oladipo with the ball in his hands as much as possible. So that makes a lot of sense. You could argue that Tyreek Evans is one of the five best players on this team, just like you could argue that DeMontis Sabonis is one of the five best players on this team. Um, should they be starting, I think is a different question as it relates to roster makeup. But Boyan spreads the floor better than Tyreek Evans will spread the floor. So I think he makes sense out there as well. Uh, you, you know, Darren Collison led the league, I think, in three-point shooting, and, and Boyan's and a good— assist to turnover. Yes, and, and Boyan is a good shooter, and so all of that can open up lanes for Oladipo, and I think all of that is good, and if they want to take away those lanes, you've got two good shooters on the wings. And then, you know, Thaddeus Young is better at stretching the floor as a four than I think Sabonis would be. That's the tricky question. W one of these is in here as well. Somebody asks— about well, let's get right to it. Okay. It's the it's the Miles Turner Domas Sabonis question. Yes, and it's the one that I think that Nate McMillan really doesn't like to answer. Yeah. Uh, when when Miles Turner had the concussion to start the season and Domas played well, and then I think it was December where people just assumed, well, you've got to you've got to start them both and play them together, and no one was giving Thaddeus Young, I think, the credit that he deserved. It was Francisco Pro, one of our. Uh, very regular responders and followers on Twitter. Could the Pacers start Sabonis Turner, play Thad O'Quinn as second unit bigs? Could they? Yes. And and I think that if you move forward much past this season and you have Domas Sabonis and Miles Turner, you have to be thinking about either 
not having one of them or starting both of them. Just because if, if Domas continues to progress, he's not a reserve player. And and right. for all as good of a teammate as he is, and you said he, you know, minds his own business and is quiet and gets you twelve and eight. I think that by his third year or maybe even fourth year, I guess I should say this will be his third year, he's a starter in the NBA. Miles Turner is a starting player in the NBA. I don't think you have to rush and do that right now, and I wouldn't mess anything up, and I tell Domas, keep doing what you're doing because I like him as a five. I think the biggest you know, the biggest variable in that question is Miles. Yes. I would say if Domas is here for a while, he's your starting five, and Miles Turner is someone who can be an elite starting four if he can kind of handle some of the four-man responsibilities. And, and if they can play together against you know what would be sometimes some smaller – lineups then i think that you have a great opportunity and even if i mean there's no saying that might not agree to a new deal at some point and be right. here long term and i think he would be okay maybe not necessarily this year it's not high on his priority list to come off the bench but i think he'll understand as he gets closer to 35 or you know he's only 30 now so another year or two he might be okay with coming off the bench i think so and to me the turner sabonis thing um, it'll be fascinating to me to watch because I think on the offensive end, it could make a lot of sense. Turner is a pick and pop guy. He fills the gaps, you know, out on the wings, and he's really good at finding some space out there. He can step back to the three point line. If the other team's center doesn't guard him out at the three point line, I can't remember what game it was. Uh, was it the Charlotte game where Howard just refused to go out there? Um, and, and Turner was just hitting three after three after three and was dominating on that end. And uh, even though Howard is so much bigger and stronger and we've seen Turner struggle with those guys, he was able to make them pay on the other end because of his three-point shooting. He's good in the pick-and-pop. Sabonis is a good pick-and-pop guy, but he's really lethal on the when he's the role man. And so on offense, that could make a lot of sense. Like Both of those things could work. Turner could even hang around the three-point line. I think he's a good enough shooter to do that. My question is the defensive end because I think Turner's a little bit more fleet of foot than um, DeMontis is. So... If, but my problem is if if you do your scenario and Turner or Sabonis is the five and Turner is the four, um, you're taking one of Miles' strengths, which is blocks and rim protection. You're taking him away from the rim if he's the four. If you move Demontis out there, does he have the foot speed to guard stretch fours in the league? And that's that's my biggest question. I think it works on offense. I skeptical is not the right word. I just would like to see it more because that's my big question. On the defensive end, how does it work? They played together a little bit from time to time in small stretches. The numbers as a team, they weren't bad, but they weren't great. The Pacers had much better lineups than ones with Turner and Sabonis on the floor at the same time. But I do think it's the biggest question that has to be answered going forward. Can they find a way to play both those guys together? Because if you say, if you, if you, settle with the fact that Victor Oladipo is now an established star in this league, the players that have the most potential for the Pacers are both of their centers. And so how do you figure that out? Because, yes, um, Sabonis, I think, right now is deserving of more playing time than he would even as you know the sixth guy, if you call him that, and even in his role of where they get him a lot of minutes and oftentimes he's on the floor at the end of games. But I think even right now he's worthy of getting – more time than that it's a it's a good problem to have but it's a tricky problem and I think back to your point of wanting to know how to handle that um if if you're the Pacers you don't you don't want to show your hand too early on those guys because there were some people that said Sabonis should be playing right now let's trade Miles Turner in the offseason well what if you trade Miles Turner at 22 and he has you know a Victor Oladipo type thing and he turns into you know, a really a Lamarcus Aldridge, and just takes him a couple of more years to get to that point. So you don't you don't want to trade these guys yet because you aren't sure of where their ceiling is, and you hope that you don't have to trade them ever. You hope they can play on the floor at the same time. But I, but I think being patient with them is the right thing to do because because if if something has to be done in terms of player movement, you want to make sure you know what you have. And these guys are still so young and have so much potential and talent. You hope they can play on the floor at the same time, but you want to know what you have also. All valid points. And one thing, I guess, as I said, Domas Sabonis is your starting center of the future. I guess I need to backtrack from that just a little bit because I do think that we're in this era where 
maybe we give Domas a little too much praise and we give Miles too much criticism. It's almost like the backup quarterback yep. where Thinking he comes in thing. and plays well. There were some games that Domas was not effective. And so I do think that the thing, maybe one of the questions I'll ask Nate McMillan, even at Media Day or one of the preseason interview times, is I wonder if he'll be open to flexible starting lineups. He seems to me like a coach that wants to have a starting five wants to have his bench unit, but then he's flexible in the game, mm-hmm. and he finishes the game with different five-man combinations. But, you know, we see this often where a certain matchup means, okay, this guy is going to be more effective. So could he have a Domas and a Miles starting lineup against a certain team, and, and Thad comes off the bench? And it, I think Thad would be okay under that um, scenario, and – I'm sure Thad's probably going to be okay no matter what, as long as the communication is open and as long as it's for the good of the team. And he's still getting you know, an opportunity to play because he's at that point in his career where he needs to play. But it will be fascinating to watch. Just don't expect Pat and I to be asking Nate every day what, what he's doing no. with, with Domas and Miles because th- it is a little bit of a delicate subject. We'll let Mark Monty do that. <laughs> and I think that you know we have to see Miles improve and and everything we've seen from social media at least this summer is that he's getting bigger and he's getting stronger Did you see and the working. nba just posted a tweet the nba twitter account posted him doing yoga they said have you ever seen a seven foot man do yoga <laughs> yeah so he's doing yoga hey i mean i wish i could do yoga you know right yeah, me too so so good for miles let's uh let's move along another question comes from another one of our Regulars, also a podcaster himself, Alexander Mack, the Corner 3 Alex, says, what's one thing you would change about NBA free agency and the way it's structured? There's a lot of discussion, and it seems like it's picked up a little bit this year. Um, Well, first of all, I would change the fact that we aren't allowed to talk while everybody else is, but that's a little bit selfish. Um, I would. There's a lot of talk about the order of draft and free agency, and I'm not. I'd be curious to know what the Kevin Pritchards of the world think about this, and maybe um, if we get the opportunity to talk to him, we could ask him his thoughts because I'm sure this is something that he would be fine with being open about. Um, every time we go around draft day, and the last couple of years we've done our live show, I've kind of had the thought, you know, it'd be nice if you did free agency already, so you kind of knew, um, you know, if there was a hole you were still trying to fill, you could do it in the draft. But then you could argue the flip of that too. Um, if you had free agency first, you might say, well, it would be nice to have the draft first, and then you know what you're looking for in free agency. See, I'm not sure that this is a huge deal just because on draft night, for a vast majority of the teams, I think this is much more true of the NBA than the NFL, for example. You're just, especially in today's game, you're just trying to pick the best guy. Um, very rarely do I think teams say we need this position and then pick a player because they need that position in in today's game of much more positionless basketball I really think for 26 27 of these teams each year they're deciding on look I think this guy has the best chance to be the best pro period and if he is that then we'll find out how to how to make it work so you know, I don't. A lot of times, stuff like that, there are layers that we don't think about that go beyond our knowledge and our general scope of reasonings on why that might make sense. And I'd be very curious to know um, what Kevin and Chad and, and Peter think of that. Um, but I, I guess it would just be the, the moratorium. I think is is a little bit confusing to some people. I think it's a little bit confusing why these deals happen, but then you know at Pacers can't talk about it for a certain period of time. And um, Adam Silver is, is very clearly a, a no nonsense commissioner and cut through the red tape kind of guy. And I think he already has improved upon that. Moratorium was shorter this year. That would be some of the things that I would change. Does anything drastically stand out? I was on the side of having the draft after free agency, but then I started thinking about it and not every free agent move happens in that first week. And there are some free agents that are still out there that, that have yet to latch onto their team. So what do you do if you have, let's say, the draft in mid-July. I mean, you can't push back Summer League, and Summer League can't happen until there's a draft. So you can't – I don't think you can move it that much. I mean, you've got to get these guys on teams and in organizations that are that are coming out of college or in a few years it looks like coming out of high school. So I don't think you can push the draft back that much. And the whole league year thing, that's the reason for the moratorium because during July 1 to 5th or 6th, 
it's when they sort of reset the books and they find the new salary cap. And because of the salary cap being the way it is, it's why there has to be a moratorium and the signings happen in a certain order. And in, and that's back to the Lance Stevenson situation. They couldn't just say, here, here's your $4 million and we can agree to this contract. Uh, they had to do the other things first so they could use the exception. So I do think that there's no reason why it needs to be 1201, and I think they're going to change that because they're going to capitalize on uh, the TV uh, opportunity and, and make it 659 <laughs> on a particular night. Yeah. Even though the deals have already been agreed to, I, I wish it didn't have to be technically against the rules to agree to a deal before or to talk before. Doesn't the NFL call it the legal tampering period or something yeah, like that? maybe it's... you could do something like that, and I— I think that it gives almost too much power to the woaches of the world and the shams of the world because they almost become, and I don't even know, I'm guessing most of the time their information comes from the agent, although with with Woge and his tipping of draft picks, I wonder if he's actually got an inside source with the NBA because he, he knows everything. And it's almost like the NBA just allows these guys to make names for themselves as the official press release of the NBA during the moratorium. Because you just accept it as being fact. And the problem that I have with it is these guys can put out there, so-and-so is interested in this player, so-and-so is interested in this player. Let's go back to Doug McDermott. I heard from fans who were frustrated that the Pacers made an early move on Doug McDermott because they claimed that the Pacers weren't bidding against anyone else. Well, just because nobody tweeted that the Kings, the Hawks, the Wizards were interested in Doug McDermott doesn't mean that the the Pacers were the only ones that wanted right. him and they, and they gave him a contract for eight million dollars a year and they could have had him for three right so uh, that that's the part of the whole free agency situation is I think that um, it, it's fascinating to follow on Twitter it's probably good for the NBA because it becomes topics of discussion and they're the lead story on uh, local sports shows and national sports shows in July when it's the heart of baseball season. Um, but there are some minor fixes, I guess, that I would uh, like to like to change. Doug McDermott, and it was a smaller sample size, but in his final 26 games uh, of his season after being traded, shot 46% from three. And again, I know it's not a season, but it's it was 20-plus games. I say all that because there's no freaking way there wasn't a market for Doug McDermott. Look, I'm not I'm not saying he is, you know, the Creighton version of Doug McDermott in the NBA or by any means, but it's a league where shooting is at a premium and this guy, you know, shot the absolute guts out of the ball at the back half of last year and for his career I think it's right around 40% from the three-point line. You know, he, he might not be an elite defender, he might not be a good great passer, um, but if you can shoot that well from three, you are a commodity in the NBA. There's no way the Pacers were the only team that won him. Like, you really think if the Pacers didn't sign him, Doug McDermott would be going and playing in China? No way! Uh, so, yeah. But uh, that that but the is... power agents have sort of yes. an in with the power reporters. They do. And they sort of set the narrative. And, you know, sometimes, you know, Woj is making a lot of money uh, at ESPN. And I'm not going to ever be someone who would discredit what he does or how he does his job. But I have been in... You know, very different scale, um, but I've been in that sort of breaking, trying to break news or reporter mode, and he's got to come up with something every day. Yeah. So I'm guessing a producer calls him at 9 in the morning after he's already been talking to the producer of the Get Up show, and they say, what have you got for us at 6 o'clock? He's got to have something. And, and the way this free agency works, you know, what was it like? The Pacers were in on Will Barton, apparently. You know that, that that's a report. That's not me saying mm-hmm. that the Pacers were. That's what was reported. Mm-hmm. And there were some other players the Pacers were supposedly interested in. Do we know what the the board said and who their priority was and who they really wanted the most? No, we don't. No. But it benefited the clients and the agents of those players, and you know it benefited Will Barton's agent to have all these people that were interested in him right. because he did get a deal. Credit Doug McDermott and his people. He got a pretty good deal without all of that speculation. Quick thought. I know fans are interested in Summer League. Uh, you can follow probably some of the blogs, and even Pacers.com has had a crew in Las Vegas that can probably report on the Summer League action better than Pat and I can. I think it's been fun to watch. I enjoyed seeing Steve Gansey. I didn't quite 
quite as much enjoy the Hawks game last night Ooh. where the Pacers had a 27-point second-half lead and lost, but I wouldn't sound the alarm bells. I just kind of wonder. It seems like they've been in Las Vegas for a long time, and if that continues to go, they'd be faced with playing, I believe, next Tuesday all the way towards the championship game. I don't know that that is necessary or benefits teams, especially the Hawks. They already played three games in Utah. They need to play five or six more. Isn't this when guys get hurt? Yeah, yeah, it it does make you wonder. You know, we've we've gotten a decent amount of questions. Um, Kareem is asking about Alize Johnson. Is he Jimmy Butler like? Chris followed up uh, with a similar question on Alize. Um, there was a question somewhere. D. Wilkes asking about Aaron Holiday, and you know, could he make himself enough that um, Corey Joseph is trade bait? The thing about the summer league is this. I I get it. I and, and I'll be honest, I was out of the country for a chunk of Summer League. I didn't get a chance to watch last night's game. I'm going to go back and watch these, but I haven't even watched much of the Pacers in Summer League yet. It's a fun opportunity to watch some guys right after you get them, and I don't think it's a ton more than that. I would not read anything into the Pacers losing a lead. Um, I would not read – look, we say it each year – we name a couple of guys who dominated Summer League. Joe Young was an example. He was fantastic in Summer League. Miles Turner also was very good in Summer League, and he's obviously turned into a good pro too. Maybe there's a little bit there, but um, you know these guys are playing against a majority of players that will not be on an NBA floor next year. And so if you, know, you watch TJ Leaf in that first game and he struggled and then played really well in the second game, I'm not really reading much into it. I know this is not the entertaining thing to say, the exciting thing to say, for me, with Summer League, it's just kind of pump the brakes. It's a good opportunity for these guys to get on the floor, learn the system, you know, be under Steve Gansey, who a lot of these guys are going to be under for a chunk of the season at least. But, you know, I'm not reading anything into the fact that Aaron Holiday's had a couple huge games. You know, it's it, you'd rather see them play well than play poorly, but this is not the stage that they're going to be asked to be competing on. And so these questions about Alizé, like, look, he was a second-round pick. The numbers say a handful of these guys are going to be rotation players in their careers. So maybe five of these 30 are going to be. I'm not saying that's... We've had comparisons to Draymond Green and and also Jimmy Jimmy Butler. Butler. (laughs) Hey, pump the brakes. Awesome. Hopefully it happens. (laughs) But but, but just understand, look, these guys, second-round picks very, very traditionally do not have an impact. And I'm not saying Alizé won't. I've not met Alizé. I've not talked to Alizé. I was in Ireland when he was announced. I... uh, I have no idea. I've not watched much of Summer League. I'm, I'm speaking with almost no knowledge yet on Alizé. Obviously, I will be doing the research for when the season comes around. But right now, I don't have any knowledge. Um, but for guys like him, it is an extreme uphill battle. And, of course, every once in a while, guys turn into Draymond Green. So I'm not saying he can't. I don't. Back to you know what we were saying, you don't want to put a ceiling on him. But you don't want to put a floor on him either. So I would just say that, you know, look, it, it's a good thing that Alizé Johnson – looks good in summer league but you know you got to understand these are a lot of guys who are going to be playing in the g league and going to be playing overseas or going to be two-way players this is not alizé johnson going up against even the thaddeus youngs of the world i am a little disappointed in that i saw the roster and i was also hoping that ek anibogu would have played in summer league and he had an injury that necessitated surgery so he was unable to participate but before i knew about that i was thinking about a, a lineup that had two draft picks tj leaf E.K. Anibogu, Alex Poitras, Ben Moore. Like, this is a team that I thought would have a lot of success in Summer League. So, to say that they were, I believe, 1-2, and two, then they lost to the Hawks, they'll play one more game that basically just guarantees them five games. That's coming up on Friday. I wouldn't expect the – I would probably say – oh, Edmund Sumner as well. I mean, yeah. they had a lot of NBA caliber players on that Summer League roster. I wish they would have had a little bit more success. But let's say Alizé Johnson. I think that he can be – a really good, you know, this season, maybe he even makes the regular roster and is not a two-way player, and maybe he's someone that in a year or two you're throwing him in and he's getting rebounds and he, you know, shows he can do more. I'm not going to have high expectations for him early on. And the same with Aaron Holiday. I mean, he's the third point guard, and I, I wouldn't anticipate seeing anything from him this season. And if you don't see anything from him this season, then you don't be upset. You just have to accept it. The big question to me is T.J. Leaf, and I know we talked about this on our draft show before we lost audio. Um, I think that T.J. Leaf is someone who 
You could have drafted him after two years at UCLA, and he would have been picked higher than where the Pacers got him. Yeah. And he would have been someone that would have been more ready to play. And I think he's in that position now. I wanted to see more from him at Summer League. But also, it's it's difficult gaining 20, 25 pounds, mostly muscle, and, and learning to play that way. And I think he's going to take a little bit of time getting used to being that physical of a player. He probably lost some quickness along the way and something that probably wasn't his strength um, to be perfectly honest anyways and so I think you're going to have to evaluate TJ more from the preseason games and the training camp practices than the summer league you know style of play he's probably someone uh, I'm guessing at this point at this level he's not a go get you 30 kind of guy he's a guy that's going to play well if he has good players around him so I really want to see TJ I don't I know that fans have kind of been getting on me both on social media and even, you know, personally, they, they want, you know, you to say something bad about TJ and that, you know, you didn't draft um, OG and an OB. You got EK and you got OG, but OG was drafted by uh, Toronto after TJ Leaf. And you can always find that player that that's drafted later and you say, well, why didn't you just draft him? Let's just let TJ have at least training camp and the preseason and see where he fits. I still think he's going to, you know, be that four coming off the bench to start the season. He's going to get that opportunity. And if he can't do it, then then he won't play. But let's let's just not give up yet. And and look, we're privy to some practice things that, you know, you guys aren't he he's somebody on the offensive end that has a really polished game. Now his passing could use some work, but like he's one of the better shooters on the team. He's a sneaky good driver. He's intelligent. I really have very little questions about his offensive game and its viability in the NBA. He hasn't shot well even at summer summer league. Yeah, so that's a thing. Yeah, where he... but I still think he's a good shooter. I, I just think he. I think that part will come. To me, it's the defense, and you know maybe the bulking up on that helps. It'll be an interesting year for him in in this. You you look at the rotation and just the potential for it. And look, we always spell out this rotation, and then things change, and there's injuries and all that. And I get it. If you have a starting five that stays the exact same as last year and you say your unit two is, and to be honest, Nate really likes, he's told us this, he likes running a nine-man rotation. He feels once you get to ten um, that guys don't play enough and that you lose you know, um, some of the rhythm. That said, they've played ten before, so that's not to say he wouldn't go with a ten-man rotation. But Corey Joseph is there. Doug McDermott is there. It's back to the Lance thing. Tyreek Evans is there. DeMontis Sabonis is there. So there's nine. Yeah, so TJ's ten. And so maybe and then, it's like last year where he plays some second quarter and then not in the second half. Right. It was there, almost a nine-and-a-half-man rotation a lot whenever it was It was healthy. a nine-and-a-half-man rotation. There's, you know, Kyle O'Quinn is maybe in that picture somewhere. We don't know yet. Yeah. So that's 11 guys right there. So th- that will be fascinating to watch. And, and injuries will probably determine, you know, some of this. Um, we were talking at this point last year about Glenn and whether he was a starter or not. And unfortunately, he never really got to play because of that injury. So you hope that doesn't happen, but that's – the realistic part of the NBA is you're going to have some injuries, but that will be interesting to me, um, him and where does he fit? Because, uh, look, if this was a team that was going to win 30 games, you could throw him out there and and just you know kind of let him run. But this is a team that expects to make the playoffs and I think expect, expects to have a first-round home series. And, and so, you know, development, you want it, but you got to play your best guys. And, you know, quickly to go back to your OG point, it is – look, he's, he's looked really good. Um, but it is a lot easier when you've got a, what, a 58, a 59-win team to just tell one guy, you know, to do a few specific things and for him to fit in and look really good on a team that is as established as, as Toronto was. So that that's one thing, too, to remember is that – a guy like OG is is fitting perfectly into a niche that suits him perfectly, and I, and I'm not saying anything against him because I've been really impressed with him. Um, but every guy fits into a different situation, and what the Pacers are hoping TJ is, is is very different from what the Raptors use OG in in year one. And I think fans would be correct in knowing though you kind of need that wing, that three and D type of player for the future as well and that's something they still will look for and probably will be a priority in incoming you know potential trades or even off seasons we've gone almost an hour it's july 12th and uh, it's been good to kind of shake the rust off just a little bit i was actually nervous this morning before doing this podcast because i I was thinking of all the things that i thought about over the last month and haven't really had an outlet to share them and so good to see you once again pat you know we did this about once a week during the season and 
Uh, I thought our chemistry was good and um, maybe kind of like riding a bike a little bit. Yeah, I think so. I think so. <laughs> it would be kind of problematic like if we came here and we're stumbling over words and I mean it's it's been a while but we should be able to pick this up and and, and we left a little bit that we did not discuss. So there are some things that we could yep. still, um, let's say maybe late July, we could do this again. Um, we could wait till the schedule comes out. And I know this is about the time I start to get anxious about the schedule. And I've learned that there's no point doing that because it's not going to come any sooner. It just happens when it happens. And uh, based on recent seasons, it was probably about the second week of August. So I think it was, yeah, it was mid-August we're about a month away yeah and so in about two weeks I'll start getting probably a little fidgety and I'll start typing NBA schedule release on Twitter and seeing where the scoops are or if there are any leaks and and maybe they'll have the Christmas Day games out but I think that the Pacers um, while it's not something I particularly care about the national TV games I think they'll get a little bit more exposure this season I mean they should I mean who knows it we've had you know Paul George coming back on big teams and had one or two TNT games but We'll, we'll see what happens. I was thinking about this this morning also, and for me, the, I, I thought the previous three off seasons have totally dragged on, and t- and I felt like they've taken forever, and being more involved with the Fever this year has helped because I kind of had the thought like, you know, wow, we're already into mid-July, which definitely wasn't what I was thinking the last couple of years when we've hit this point. But the season ended at the very end of April or May 1, right? That was Game 7, I think, was May 1 or April 30. Um, April yeah, April. I believe we were still in April. But, yeah. uh, but basically, at the very, very end of April um, is when the season ended. So there's already been May, June, and half of July. So two and a half months. If you go two and a half months from now, end of July, August, end of September, you're at like October one, which, which is training, training camp. camp. Yeah. So we're we're halfway through. Congrats. Yeah, and, and hopefully in future off-seasons, the off-season is even shorter. I mean, you think about a team like <laughs> Golden State, State or Cleveland, they're just like, they're finally catching their breath a little bit, and that's a pleasant problem yeah. to have. But, you know, I was thinking about the to the 12-month cycle of the NBA, and it's really probably 11. I mean, August is, is kind of a chance for everyone in the NBA to sort of take a step back. And I think towards the end of August, you'll start to see maybe more guys come back into town. And, and they always utilize that two or three weeks before training camp starts to really get some good run at, at the practice facility. And, and I think that'll be some important time for this team. Uh, but I think you can probably, unless there's a, a late trade like what happened with Kyrie Irving last year, you could say August will be the catch your breath and then get ready for the excitement. Um, August will be that month, but we've still got a lot to talk about. And uh, if you have any other questions, we also thank all of you for following along on Twitter and, and downloading the podcast. We're still looking for sponsors. I know Pat's oh, yeah. got a, uh, a dry cleaning firm that's interested that, in. Uh, well, they said they weren't interested, which is very. They were not. Well, I think. <laughs> Did you set the price tag too high? I don't know. See, it was actually a very in- weird interaction because somebody DM'd me that <laughs> somebody had tweeted, Pat Boyle and I do your laundry. <laughs> <laughs> and they didn't at me. You know, they just tweeted the name, which unlike. Oh, so um, you're searching your name. No, that's what I'm saying. Unlike some people, I don't search my name. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't find it. Somebody found it and sent it to uh, me. Oh, okay. And, uh, and so, so Someone I, else is searching your name. Is it your mom? Uh, no, it was uh, <laughs> It was it was one of our blogger friends uh, with I, I know I, I think you made this mistake on air and I do it all the time but the the confusion of the cornrows and the the eight points eight points nine <laughs> seconds yeah. I I can never remember and I apologize I don't mean that as derogatory at all um, come on Pat how dare you I, well I, I read them all the time and sometimes I just forget which one I'm reading but we I, I actually do use those sites fairly regularly. Um, but yeah, they had. Uh, so I, I tried to get the cleaners on by the circle. And right. no we've been we've been kind of uh, throwing out subtle hints, I think, yeah. over the last year and a half, and we've yet to have anyone really step up. But uh, come on, I, I just feel bad because I listen to a lot of these podcasts, and and I. I guess I feel bad would be the wrong way to describe it. I, I feel like maybe we're just not cool because yeah. you know make us feel cool. I, I feel like you know the the Ringer NBA show. Like sometimes those guys can't even pronounce half the players in the league, but yet they've got to pause every ten minutes and and talk about me underwear or whatever. And, yeah. and there's always a sponsor. So we'll come out to your place. We'll uh, you know we'll make you feel. Uh, we'll add a lot to it. Yeah, I just want to help the organization as yeah, well. Me too. All right. Okay. Well, that was fun. Uh, <laughs> it was good to catch up. And uh, I don't know when we'll do this again. That's the thing about the off season is it just kind of when things feel pertinent, we get a chance to do it. But we got about an hour. You said an hour before this, and I was skeptical that we could fill an hour. But honestly, we could probably go further, and we're probably at our, our limit. But um, yeah, 
All right. Well, we enjoyed this July edition of the Sideline Guys, and uh, we'll, we'll be back at some point, maybe at the end of July or early August. Maybe we can make some NBA schedule predictions at some point in August.